One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends called me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast Thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Hey, thanks so much for listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth. Um, I figured after doing a handful of these episodes, I'd like to start doing um, kind of these intros to kind of tell you where we're at each week and where I'm at and exciting things about the show and, you know, possibly plug some sponsors someday if we can get them. Um, The response to the show has been great, and I'm really, really grateful for all of you guys listening. Um... If you have any suggestions of people that we should have on the show, uh, please reach out. You can find me on Instagram, charles.smellsworth. Shoot me a DM and, yeah, would love to have any suggestions because um, while I've been doing this for a long time, I think, I, and I know a lot of people that I'd like to interview, there's so many people outside of my personal wheelhouse that I'm just interested to get to know and hear about their stories and their journey. I'm really grateful that I was able to find the time this year to finally start the show and get this project together. I've been wanting to do it for a long time, and it's just great that I've actually finally just settled down and made it happen. If you like it and you want to keep it going, there's lots of ways you can support the show and and me, and one of those ways is to go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and just sign up to be a patron of mine for one, three, five dollars a month, whatever it is you can afford. Nothing that's going to break the bank. But it just all kind of adds up to make sure that I can keep the lights on, you know, fix equipment. I just had a microphone break that I don't really have the money to replace. So Patreon money will hopefully go to fixing that. Um, It all just adds up to make sure I've got a budget to keep going, keep on the road and, you know, keep new projects like music videos, collaborations. I've got a lot of things planned out in the future and Patreon helps with all of that. Another way you can support the show is just by buying some merchandise. You can go to charlesellsworth.bandcamp.com and see what I have for sale. Um, I've got some really rad t-shirts, vinyl records, CDs, a lot of different things. Oh, these awesome scorpion hats that I'm sure you've seen me post on Instagram. All of that just really adds up to help me make a living. And since I'm not able to be on the road this year because of COVID, it all really goes a long way, whether you think so or not it makes a big difference in my life so go check it out see what I've got uh there's a handful of ways you can support me without having to spend any money of your own if you signed up on Apple Music Spotify whatever it is you listen to music on all you got to do is stream my music you can find which songs you like add them to your playlist that you listen to regularly save or like my albums so it does better in the algorithm just look for charles ellsworth and you'll find my stuff if you're on spotify i've made a playlist that's called this is charles ellsworth and it's got everything from my first record charles ellsworth and the dirty 30 all the way to my instrumental guitar project ab chetis guy 
so you can check out all the different stuff I've recorded over the years. And last but not least, the best way you can support the show without having to spend any money is just by sharing it. Anyone you know that would benefit from these conversations, let them know about the show. You can also share it on social media. And if you use Apple Podcasts, just leave me a rating and a review, and it would make a huge difference. It won't take you much time, and it makes a big difference for me and helps the show get out there to a wider audience. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with my friend Genevieve Smith. She's one of my dearest friends in the world. She's also one of the smartest and most driven people I've ever met. And I think that she's got some really important and useful things to say. And it's only a matter of time before lots and lots of people are listening to what she has to say. So be one of the first or early adopters so you can be like, I was listening to Genevieve way before you. Thanks a lot for listening to the show. Um, I'm going to go try and have a really good Tuesday, and I hope you do too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Chuck Charles Ellsworth, and uh, very, very happy to have my good friend Genevieve Smith uh, here on the podcast today. And uh, hey, Genevieve, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I can't believe you made it all the way to my house. It was a trick. Yeah. That's the road that we've been on. About four and a half blocks. Yeah, yeah. Genevieve recently moved to my neighborhood. Well, not not super recently, but it seems recent because of COVID. <laughs> because this year isn't real. Our friend COVID. It's a do-over. It's a do-over <laughs> year. But let's get it right in November, if you know what I mean. Um, and I mean, let's get rid of the fascist fucker that's in the White House. Abolish everything. <laughs> abolish everything. Oh, I thought of something that we needed to abolish while we were upstate, but I forgot. But anyways, um, <laughs> there's lots of things we need to abolish. But until I can remember that, I just want to say my friend Genevieve is... Um, She's a musician. She's a, tell, tell us about yourself, Genevieve, because I think you could do a much better job than me. Thanks. I am a musician, and sometimes I forget that. But, yeah. Um, and I, I run a consulting firm where I do a lot of thinking about how things could be better. Um, so I, I focus a lot on the so what of social impact, like, it's so people have these great mission statements and great values statements and we're all really good at rhetoric. Mm -hmm. We're all really good at talking about let's make the world a better place. So what I do is I work with people and organizations and activists and companies to say, okay, but what are, what are you really doing to alleviate poverty? What uh -huh. are you really doing at all ends of your value chain in your business, whether it's your supply chain or, uh, how you're donating money, or how you're running programs, or how you're being in the world. Uh, how are you not only reducing harm, but doing things that work for everybody? That's awesome. That's really, uh, there's there's so much to that. And um, I'm excited to eventually get more in-depth about that. But I want to take us back, back to when uh, Genevieve was just a wee... Little Hobbit, <laughs> way back. Um, and tell tell us tell us about growing up and where you're from and uh, and kind of you know just a little bit of what what your childhood was like. Yeah, 
getting into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up all over the western United States. So I was born in Arizona. Uh, I don't remember a lot of it, but born in Flagstaff and then moved briefly to Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, it's where my parents met. They were they were both lift attendants. They were both ski bums oh, at nice. Deer Valley, and that's how they met. Um, yeah, so we were in Utah for a minute, a hot minute, and then my mom and I moved to the Bay Area. So I primarily grew up, it was about half and half Oakland and Berkeley, but it was all East Bay. Um, yeah, and then I went to high school in Montana, which was a shift, and that's where I started playing in bands, and, like, I had always been super into punk rock and, I don't know, being a little shit kicker, and, um, yeah, and that's how I started sort of weaseling my way into the bar scene and, like, convincing club owners to let me in, uh, to see the shows and eventually weaseled my way into bands, and then traveled for a long time I went to some college in Montana I so yeah I am a musician and I'm classically trained in cello and there's a point in my life where I thought I'm gonna be a classical cellist mm -hmm. like that's the thing and I got into college I my GPA was two seven I think I they, and they let me graduate because I was in a couple honors classes and I was in all of the music programming, um, and I was playing up at the university, so that's kind of how I, I tricked them into, into I think they wanted to get rid of me too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so I got into school, and the thing about music programs is that's all you do. And so it was on a, it was an audition-based scholarship, and that's how I was going to school, but I couldn't take any other classes because we were just so busy with orchestra or with you know, music theory, all of it was cool. I was also 18 and just didn't care. Yeah, and totally. yeah, and I was just, I just wasn't very happy. And I was like, this isn't, I'm going to play music forever. Like I want to do something about how the world works. Yeah, and totally. yeah, so I did the reasonable thing and dropped out and didn't tell anybody <laughs> and started <laughs> traveling. Um, so I spent about a year and a half on the road and I went to, uh, actually came here, came to New York, um, hung out here for a couple months, hung out in Rhode Island for a while, in Austin, Texas for a while, and spent some time in Utah, because at the time that's where my mom was living, and so that was kind of the touch point of in between trips, I would, you know, go get a, a home-cooked meal. Uh, a sandwich. Yeah. Get a, <laughs> a Vegemite sandwich in Utah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Too much Vegemite. So much Vegemite in Utah. It's weird. You wouldn't expect it. People think that Utah's biggest problems are like the weird politics and some like environmental issues. It's really that there's just too much Vegemite. Just people just like being like, take this Vegemite sandwich, motherfucker. And I'm like, dude, I've had six already this afternoon. <laughs> Sorry. Like you can't build that out of Vegemite. What are you doing? No, no. Chile relleno burritos for me only in Salt Lake City. Um, <laughs> anyways, so yeah, so I would come back for Vegemite and then go back out on the road. And then at a certain point, I think like a year and a half in, I was like, uh, maybe I should be, I don't know, more useful, which I know you and I talk a lot about like, what does useful even mean? And like product, this productivity, like totally. ideology in capitalism. So that's the asterisk to that. But, um, yeah. And so then I went back to school and mm. decided I think I it was 
I had been really interested in understanding why the 2008 financial crash happened. Uh-huh. I don't know that, yeah, there's still so much, but most of it, we've got the basic concepts of garbage. And so I got really interested in like, well, how, did, how does economics work? Uh-huh. And so I started studying economics and I hadn't taken a math class in like almost 10 years. So I started from the bottom and I was like in remedial math and I was like, why on earth am I getting a math based degree? (laughs) What am I doing? But it was really, really fun and I got so stoked on it and it changed. I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but I think that changed a lot of the trajectory of my life. Was uh, which part the starting at the bottom, like the beginning of doing math again or just like that time of like kind of falling in love with economics, falling in love with economics for sure. And it taught me how to work hard. Because all of a sudden I was at the bottom of the class. And like, yeah, so I did that. And then I lived in Utah for a while. And then, yeah, strong-armed my way out to the East Coast. Cool. Yeah, well, um, there's so much to get to, especially because of what you do now and how it ties into your punk rock roots. But I kind of want to take it back a little bit and... uh, talk about you know what your introduction to punk rock was what um or you know like music um because like a lot of what i like to talk about with different artists or different people and what the podcast is about is is so much about like the idea of hitting the road like what are you running to or from and um and there's so much like similarity and and also just like this this like brazen bravery that it takes to just be like fuck it i'm just gonna do this thing and I think there's so much of that in you from from before I knew you to like your move to the East Coast and, and kind of starting your field that you're you're now like thriving in. And um, so, yeah, let's take it back to like, was it Oakland? Like who, you know, wh- where did you learn of punk rock? I know your, your mother was a musician. Did you you know, like what was your introduction to these these weird carny like people that are <laughs> musicians that are like less reliable than carnies? <laughs> I don't know many carnies, so I should not make jokes. But I know lots of musicians, and they mostly suck. Yeah, <laughs> and we love them, and we oh, are I love them. them so much, and, I am and like, like yes. yeah. So, I mean, I don't even think it was. It was a punk ethic without knowing that that's what it was. Because yeah, like you said, my mom is a musician, and so I grew up around that, and it and everybody was a jazz player, and there's okay. I mean that's a DIY ethic forever. Totally, you know? it's a lifestyle. It's a it's a commitment. It's yeah. A, like people are into jazz, and most people are not. And, and it's, it's a niche. Yeah, totally. No, it's it's very <laughs> okay. That's really interesting. I didn't realize it was jazz that your yeah. mom was into. And and it was like it got even weirder because it was jazz and bluegrass. And so like my I think my first introduction to like the carny like. <laughs> Lifestyle was pretty early. And it was, we would go to music festivals all the time. And okay. they were like, and it, I didn't realize this until I, later. Because um, when we started going, I was too young to even form memories. I think I was like, you know, two or three years old. Totally. Um, and so there was one that we would go to in, in Weezer, Idaho, which is, I think, like 40 miles south of Boise. And it's nothing but like alfalfa fields. and Or at least that is was it, is true then. Weezer like the band? Or no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought you said Weezer, it's, Idaho. And I was just like, damn. Yeah, it's W-E-I-S-E-R. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. 
And like picturing Rivers Cuomo, like just <laughs> fucking rocking out. I was raised by time. Weezer, by the band Weezer. <laughs> I kind of, in a in a way, was. <laughs> yeah, weren't weren't we all Weezer and a little bit of Rancid? I no, just Weezer, Vegemite, and Rancid. Yep. Rancid Vegemite. I'm rancid so sorry. Vegemite. Um. Yeah. So yeah. So, but it was like this tiny ass town where there was a. It was a bluegrass fiddle festival, and it was a fiddle contest, and so it was like all these serious bluegrass Did players. The devil show up? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> but like, so there was that, uh-huh. and then, th- like, several yards away from the actual festival, was where we were, and it was like there were there was this like old abandoned high school, like these old beautiful buildings just in the middle of these fields, and we were just camp out for 10 days and um and that was every year and then and all these same people would go like caravan around the country to different mostly in the pacific northwest Uh to all these so we would go to like stevenson washington we went to the you know um san juan islands and uh there was some stuff in in oregon and like coos bay and so it was all the same sort of like roving group of people yeah yeah and everybody would just like camp out for however many days and stay up all night and play music. And so that was, and it's all these jazz players that are like adjacent to a bluegrass scene. Yeah. So it's all acoustic and there are a lot of really hilarious jokes, but only if you listen to that one Miles Davis record, like, yeah. Right. Totally super niche. And like the, the, the Venn diagram is just like, yeah, but it's so sh- beautiful, shrinking and so <laughs> weird. And it just gets like, and I think that's why I'm so obsessed with just meta shit. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And where, like at what ages you said this started before you could really form memories until, until high school or. Yeah. We, I went until I was, I think 15 or 16. Oh wow. So it, this was like, and I wasn't close really with my extended family and, and like, it was just me and my mom. And so this was like our family reunion. Like yeah. this was, this was quite literally like people say it takes a village. This was the village. The village that raised you were a bunch of like, I want to say gypsy jazz is what it sounds like. That's exactly it. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. So like raised on like Django Reinhardt. Oh, and okay. Yeah. 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 So, like so that Ke- was all Kevin of it. Kevin Schultz would dig. Yeah. That, those festivals. Yes. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Classic Kevin. <laughs> What's up, dude? If you're listening, I know you're not, but you should. Yeah, uh, I remember the first time I saw his band. I told him that I loved Nuage, and they played it. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, man, those nerds. Yeah, that's and that's my shit. Yeah, that's totally sure. my shit. Yeah, so like I just say nerds because I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> my, my my jockness from like junior high, high school comes out. <laughs> Fucking nerds. It's French. It's French. Yeah, but uh, okay, so yeah, no, that's okay. I've got so much to say about that because it's it's just really interesting that you and I talk a lot about the concept of community. And that's been a, I mean, I think we're all going to come out of this year with a very radically different definition of what community is. And, um, and I don't think, I don't think you can exist on this planet without some form of idea of community and your that community is just so I just I just love that that's like led to your punk rock ethos to what you're doing in the nonprofit and private sector right now and and um yeah like let's see from like 1516 
what what happens next? Like you uh, is that when you when did you pick up a cello? When did you start playing music? I started playing music. I mean, it was always a given, mm-hmm. right? And I think being around all these jazz players, they would always say like, "Yeah, we you gotta learn how to read music. You uh-huh. gotta learn how to read music because they could read charts. Some of the guys could read, but they were all self taught. And so, and there's something that I think teaching yourself jazz does for your grasp of music theory for sure. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know they would put a mandolin in my tiny hands and be like, this is now you can play mandolin. Right. And like, I never could, but, um, but I think that was the thing is like when it came time to pick an instrument in, and this was in public school in, in Berkeley. So I was nine, fourth grade. Okay. And, and I wanted to play the bass. Because I thought girl bass players were the coolest thing. And I started listening. I still think girl girl bass players are the coolest thing. Girl bass players are the coolest thing. And like, um, yeah, so, and I remember I had gotten, what was it? I had gotten London Calling. That was like my first, oh, whoa. Oh, cool, yeah. And like that, yeah, that blew my mind. And and how like smooth some of those songs are, mm-hmm. like, is th- but this is still like punk rock and like, yeah. Um, yeah and and uh, my dad had played bass, and a lot of a lot of the people that were in my mom and I's life had played bass, mm-hmm. and you know they're always the funny ones. So I was like, I want to be the bass player, and um, and but when it came time to choose instruments, the the school that I was going to. Um, didn't have any budget for music. And so they had the options were cello, violin, and clarinet. Mm-hmm. That was it. And they only had, a, they had like two violins, a clarinet, and a cello. And so like four kids could be a part of it. And we all met, uh, I think it was like three days a week before school. So mm-hmm. at like 6.30, a.m. Because yeah. the teacher would just like come in and and which was speaks to like people's dedication, but also speaks to terrible infrastructure and funding totally. which i couldn't have articulated then but um but yeah so i was like all right next year i'll play bass next year i'll play bass and then that just every year i was like all right next year and i never i never switched and like so cello was such a cool like because there were all these fiddle players mm-hmm. like in the spaces that i grew up in but then to bring in that like no but i'm really learning how this goes and so um yeah and since i had a musical family and like a musical background i practicing was such a natural thing yeah. and my mom and i you know my mom would teach me her songs and and it was just i don't know that i ever that the thought ever crossed my mind that i wouldn't play music yeah like i don't think i ever thought about it it was just a given that's cool that's uh my family was like interesting at least like before my parents got divorced and all of that train wreck happened, um, which will be, we'll save for later podcasts. But uh, um, that was like my, my grandma on my dad's side taught piano lessons. And like, like it was a musical family. We'd like have family gatherings. I don't remember because I haven't really spoken to that part of the family that much since before I was like 10 years old. But yeah. I remember like having like Christmas concerts like with the grandkids. You know, that's what you did. Yeah. Like we all just like, like it was like, church choir but like at my grandma's house you know <laughs> it was a very very musical family so it was kind of raised around that and then luckily um my mom was still really supportive of us continuing that after like we weren't really a part of that family anymore and so that that's cool yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so grateful that music was something that i grew up around yeah 
So I'm always trying to like get my nephews. Like one of them got a guitar for Christmas, and I was like, "Cool, I'm gonna buy you a tuner. Call me up, Facetime me. Like, let's figure stuff out." Yes. So, you know. But okay, so let's see. I didn't. I wasn't super prepared for this interview, but you and I <laughs> hang out and talk all the time. So, I, I, I'm really interested in. Okay, from picking up the cello, and then every year you just kind of kept with it. And at some point, I imagine you just had to fall in love with it because that's just like, yeah, it's hard not completely. to fall in love with with something like that. Yeah, especially just cello has such an amazing range, and I got good at it. And oh. so, in that, like, I'm pretty competitive too so I was getting first chair I was like I was being principal I was getting solos and and I loved it and and I found that I was actually really glad that I didn't switch to upright bass because cello still gets melody lines Mm -hmm. because cello has such a just broad range and I think it's really cool to be able to like do the bass line and support but also still do melody yeah 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 definitely that's um I, I don't know why, but when I was in about in middle school, um, I picked up, I started playing drums in band, and I wanted to play the cello, but the dude who taught orchestra thought I was a troublemaker, and he wouldn't <laughs> let me join the orchestra. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Which is like, I think <laughs> bullshit. I mean, like I was, I don't know, I yeah. That is bullshit. Yeah, it is bullshit, and I. What's funny is is I ran into him at one of my shows in my hometown last summer and he was it was like he was really nice you know it was like it was like a great inter- <laughs> interchange and I'm friends with both of his sons and whatnot but it was like it was funny because I remember in fourth grade hounding him like I want to play cello I want to play cello I want to play cello and he's like no like, you oh can't, my god it was can his, you do that well, it was essentially he's just like I like I've got forty kids in the orchestra, which is way too many, anyways. And I already know you're gonna like be loud and like <laughs> rambunctious and and whatever. Man. So, but then a couple of years later, bugging him to teach me guitar, and he wouldn't teach me, wouldn't teach me, wouldn't teach me, and so I ended up having to. I found another teacher that ended up working, but damn, it's like man, that's so that's some withholding. Yeah, he, I mean, you know. It's, uh, it's maybe he can come on the podcast and you can ask him questions. <laughs> maybe there's some there's some. Uh, um, I mean, it's just like kind of a miracle that I ever picked up the guitar. Yeah. In the first place. When did but, you pick up the guitar? Oh, it was about 12. Yeah. 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 I uh, rented the Led Zeppelin song remains the same from my, yeah. my local video store that I used to. We used to have like the shortcut through the woods to get to the video store where you'd rent it. Fancy yeah. video. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I saw that. I never heard, like, much classic rock growing up. We were, like, a country house. and Or, like, if it was classic rock, it was, like, Toto or, like, Ardo yeah. Speedwagon because my mom was, like, young. She was, like, a young mom. Yeah. So it was, like, or Chicago, stuff like that, you know? Um, <laughs> like, I remember I heard Bill Withers on the, like, Runaway Bride soundtrack, I think it was, because that was the type of stuff my mom would listen to and just being, like, this song fucking slaps. I didn't know what slaps meant at the time. But being like really into it and then discovering like Bill Withers, the rest of his yeah. stuff later on and being like, fuck, yeah, I love that song. Yeah. Ain't No Sunshine was the one on there, of course. Yep. Cause, yeah. But yeah, but yeah it's uh, little gems like that. A lot of Dixie Chicks nice. on, our, on our family drive. All right. Bob Seger. Still love Bob Seger. All right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. This is <laughs> don't, you're not allowed to interview oh, me. Sorry. I got to interview you. <laughs> so, OK, so from. From 
the Bay Area. Oh, then, okay, so moving to Montana from the Bay Area at age 15, 16, or? That was age, I think, thir- 13, 14. Okay, so, yeah. like, that was 13, 14, 15 were, like, my worst years. Weird time to be alive. Worst years. Yeah. What, what would it have been like m- moving? Oh, it was wild. Time? It was yeah. wild. And I didn't want to. Like, it was all, it my mom the the person that she's married to now they met he's a bass player and they met through playing music together at i think they actually met at weezer maybe um but at a weezer show (laughs) (laughs) eating vegemite (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah they she decided that she wanted to move to montana for him and I was unhappy about it. I mean, I don't remember. I don't think there were any, like, knockdown, drag out. Like, there was never a temper tantrum. But I was like, okay, I'm already introverted. This is about to be very strange. Totally. Like, yeah, and I, di- I didn't want to go. Like, I loved I loved Oakland. I loved, like, my best friend was my neighbor. I, And it's just a cool place. And, like, Montana, demographically, is a very different place. And so there, it was, it was definitely a weird culture shock and it took a minute and I don't know, like looking back, I can't, I don't know if I can really separate the like angst that came with moving with, from the angst of being 13. Totally. Cause it's just a really weird ass time to be alive. For sure. It's, a, it's such a difficult time. I, I don't wish it on anyone and everyone yeah. goes through it, you know? And everyone goes through it. Yeah. So like. Yeah, and I I grew to love Montana. And you moved to Missoula? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at least like It was like the Berkeley of Montana. Yeah, you know. Which, <laughs> I mean, like, I love M- Missoula now, but I mean as a 13-year-old, I I yeah, I don't know. Actually, it probably would have had more going on than the town I grew up in, but For compared sure. to Cuz it's a college town. Totally. But, but yeah, compared, compared to Oakland, Oakland it's like a whole different. Yeah, and my mom had worked on cuz she by trade, she's a chemist. So she worked um, worked at UC Berkeley at Lawrence National Lab. And, like, so I spent a lot of time in big federally funded laboratories. Like, I was a lab rat growing up, too. Yeah, which probably, now that I say it out loud, like, also makes sense about the way that I am. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> layers. <laughs> yeah, so, like, every, because after school, I mean, she was a single parent. So I would just, I would do my homework, like, next to the mass spectrometer. And yeah, yeah. I also went to science fairs and stuff. Like I won some pretty big prizes. Okay, tell me about yeah. your award-winning <laughs> science projects, because <laughs> the worst grade I ever got up until about like high school was was a science fair project. Yeah, yeah. I I loved it, and I think it it felt like it came kind of like music too. It just came so naturally because I was around it all the time. Um, but yeah, I was I don't remember how old I was but I did a project on and like I think it was really simple I think it was like how what happens to sediment as it moves like when you're in the middle of the river and then if you're because Missoula has a river that mm-hmm. <laughs> that runs through it, runs through it yeah. <laughs> I just um, the weekend fly fishing so yes I will take it <laughs> Yeah, and, like, so it was what, like, how how does the distance from the water, it's been so long, 
But how does the different distance from the water affect the size of sediment granules? Hmm. Which I think now looking back is like, well, yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be real small when they're in the water. Cause yeah, but this is a this is a science fair project. Yeah, these are important things. Totally, and like it went really well, and I got to go to like the regional. I actually came back to Salt Lake City to present at the University of Utah, like in front of a bunch of PhDs. I was like a freshman in high school. Wow. Yeah, so I was like, I'm gonna be an environmental scientist. And then I was like, no, I'm gonna be a musician. And then I was like, no, I'm not gonna be anything. Yeah, I was just really, I've always been really interesting, interested in solving problems. Mm -hmm. I just love to think and yeah. like, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that I'm, I'm the same way. That's why I like, like filmmaking. And my favorite thing about directing a film was like, it was just like one fire to the next. Like you're just, yeah. you're just putting out fires while trying to like roll film. You know, it's just like this. Yeah. Is, you know, and 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 like I can really get in my zone during those situations. And sometimes I don't. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, and just like I think the way that I think about it too, like I just love knowing how things work. Totally. Like I'm not an engineer at all, but I'm obsessed with engineering. And anybody, if anybody, if I meet people and they're like, "Yeah, I'm an engineer," like they're immediately bummed because I'm like, "Really, really? Do you want to talk about your work? Oh my god, this yeah. is amazing!" And they're just like, "No, I what? Like, aren't no? I'm like, no, but have you ever built a bridge? Do you know what's in the middle of that building? Like, I'm so obsessed does, with understanding how things work. Does jet fuel melt steel beams? I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> a Seven Eleven joke. <laughs> <laughs> never forget. Sorry. Um, oh my god. This, this podcast, I'm just ruining it. You want to <laughs> just go watch a movie? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. So okay, we're getting to like actually the really good part because I think right around now, um, and if we fast forward just a little bit post high school, so did you go to the University of Montana for a little bit? Is that yeah, the one in Missoula? In Missoula. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so you're studying music there, and. And that's all you're doing. You're just playing. Were you were you were you getting burnt out? Were you just like I just don't want to do this? Yeah. Were you just like I was I'd like rather be drunk? Like what? Yes, totally. All, um, of all of the above. I was playing in bands, and what and was I your think first band. Okay, wait, wait. Yeah. Rewind. Oh my Tell god. Me about your first band. My first band was I joined a band called Birds Mile Home. Okay. Uh, in in Missoula, and um, yeah. So I was just coming out of high school and these dudes there was something that used to happen in missoula called total fest put on by vantage records mm -hmm. and and we would do like these big rep record swaps and there was like a salt lake contingent that would always come like la force was one band file blue shades was one band like who were in with the vantage crew okay. and it's just like just like weirdo like Anything from like Dan Deacon to like the anti DeFrancos. Oh, okay. And that's like where, because I had been, so I'm overlapping stories a little bit here, but I had been into, you know, like the Clash and like, I don't know, like the Buzzcocks, but I went pretty much straight from that to like Japanese and Swedish hardcore. Like I didn't really go through, except for the Buzzcocks, I didn't really go through like a 77 phase or like, uh, like a street punk phase or a pop punk phase. I just went immediately for like Skit System, Totalitar, Kriegshog. You're like, just throwing names. I have no idea. Who these yeah. Like <laughs> crust shit, like yeah. Anarcho and, 
And then, like, some of the... Was there a big scene of this? Or it sounds like there was In the 90s, there was. In Montana. And and because of the, like, the festival, because of Total Fest and, like, all these record swaps, they would be handing out, like, old zines. And, and of course, like, when we were in high school, we were just like, yeah, like, the dudes that work at the record store are the coolest dudes in the world, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I, like, got indoctrinated into this, like, weirdo hardcore scene. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time in Seattle or in Olympia, Washington. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where did we used to play? We used to play the Voyeur. I've played there before. Yeah. yeah. I just remember being there for the first time and being like, "Oh, so Olympia is where all the crust punks Rat live." Rat tail. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like all the crust punks like travel most of the time. Yeah. But the home is Olympia, Washington. Yeah, that's <laughs> like the capital. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> we're going to Oli's. <laughs> Uh, I have a lot of stories from Oli that I only sort of remember. Um, yeah, so, like, I w- that was, like, the scene that I was in, and I was running with dudes way older than me and, like, trying to be way cooler than I was. Like, and I think that's what we do mm-hmm. at that age. But, um, but, yeah, and then there was this, like, country punk band, Bird's Mile Home, and they were, like, we're looking for, like, oh, you play cello. Like, do you want to play with us? So I joined that band, and I was in that band. I don't know, maybe two years? Uh-huh. I don't know. If Timmy listens to this, he'll correct me. But um, but yeah, and it was like it was a huge growing experience. We were one of the drunkest bands in Montana, which to get that title in Montana, you got to work for it. Yeah, people drink a lot in Montana. Yeah, it's it cold was there. Oh, man. Yeah, it was. And it, it's wild because when I moved away from Montana, I was like, oh, because that's how I started to drink. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you guys don't finish a 30 rack between two people in one night this isn't yeah maybe i'm not even 21 yet and i have a problem yeah well i mean you also yeah because that when that's how you learn how to drink totally when it's just like like going for it so yeah so there was a lot of like shit assing that happened yeah yeah so i was like doing that in my first like serious relationship and working to get a music degree that I didn't know if I believed in Mm -hmm. and yeah and it just and I was at a certain point towards the end of living in Montana I for sure was like dealing with some depression Mm -hmm. and like I don't think I I was just like everything's a fog and I don't know what's happening was that new or had had you ever experienced that before I had but not at that severity you weren't able to articulate it yeah were you able to articulate it this time around or, or no no i just remember being incredibly sad but that was the, like we were all drunk all the time yeah. so like that's sometimes it's hard to differentiate between the two yeah most In of my 20s like, yeah i was really sad and drunk and now being like what the fuck was i so sad about yeah you know but like there's plenty to be sad about i'm not don't totally. get me wrong and like everyone goes through shit but it's like oh, shit would have been a lot more manageable if you hadn't been fucking drinking so much. Yeah, and you, like, lose sense of any sort of, like, self-awareness, totally. I think, at that point. Time just, like, slips by. And yeah. It's, and it's just, yeah, it's it's really hard to get a grip. Like, if, if anyone listening right now is in that right now, like, do whatever you can to step back and maybe just, like, not drink for Call your friends. Hours. Call your friends. And if your friends call are me. not people that, yeah, call us. Yeah, message me. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's a fucking shitty, horrible place to be. And what I hate, and sorry to go on a tangent, but, like, what I hate is, like, I remember that crushing feeling of depression, like, the very first time I experienced it at, like, 11, 12 years old. Yeah. And, like, and then it wasn't until I was 30, 31 that I started being, like, 
that I actually figured out healthy ways to deal with it yeah. or how to like be sad and just sit in it and not be consumed by it, but also recognize like this is being sad and this is part of being alive. And part of that is just doing work and going to therapy and stuff. And, and I think it really sucks that be, for 20 years and not, oh, not God, blaming anyone yeah. around me, but like just society that for 20 years I had no idea how to get a grip on this stuff. And sometimes I just lose three months to being like, yeah, I want to kill myself, but I just don't want to kill myself. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, and I, feeling broken. Yeah, And totally. like not being able to name it. And I know you and I talk about this all the time. Like sometimes you're sad and that's, yeah. And I remember like looking back and being like, oh, that's what that was. And I had felt it before when I was younger, but I think I had enough going on that I was like, okay, plug into whatever it is that you're doing. And then I just like didn't address shit. I was just like, get the scholarship, be productive, run away from home, like whatever it is. And yeah, so like Montana was a weird When college can be a really isolating experience. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Like while you're also around all these people partying and playing shows or like, you know, for me, college was like, Partying, for figuring out for the first time, like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I fit in. I don't know, if, mm. like, because I just I grew up with all the same kids from like kindergarten until I graduated yeah. high school. So like, by the time you're a freshman in high school, you kind of got your group, and you know we had our fights and falling outs, but like you know we were like cool. And then I got to, and I was friends with most people in my high school, and like or cool with, like I could just yeah. like kick it with them because. I just wasn't an asshole right? and I played music, but also I played sports. So it was like this, this Venn diagram of like most people were like, Oh, Chuck's all right. Yeah. And, um, and then I got to college and being like, okay, well I'm partying. I'm doing the college thing, but like, I don't think anybody sees me at all. I didn't know how to say that at the time, but I just remember floundering for a few years and just being like, I guess I just keep going to school because that's what I'm supposed to do and just keep getting into debt. But like nothing seems to mean anything except for like the few times a year I could get up on in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know for me, because you and I, I think had some similarities growing up, but some opposite situations too. Like I moved around so much Mm -hmm. that, and actually, Montana was the longest place I had ever lived. I think we lived there for like seven years. Mm-hmm. I'd never lived anywhere for that long. Yeah. And so moving around so much, I got super adaptable. And I'm good at making new friends quickly. But um, I think for me, it was the duality of, and this is something that we've talked about before too, is it's sort of like, I think in my head, my like different identities of like being a classical musician and being good enough to get the scholarship to sit first chair to like do the thing felt at odds with being like a shitty punk who, and we like attach a lot of social currency to that. Right. And like, especially like it's sadly in the, in the punk rock or these, these like outcast communities also outcast themselves yes extra exactly so it's like me being like lone wolf chuck we just talked about this the other day where it's like nobody's ever fucking helped me out i'm gonna fucking do this on my own it's like well yeah nobody wants to help you because you're just like right bitter about nobody ever fucking helping you it's like a self-perpetuating and then are you accepting the help are you even noticing that people are actually offering you help nobody's ever helped me out but like every time someone gives me a compliment i just awkwardly don't know how to accept it you know like it's it's a yeah, yeah. Taking so ownership, like, but also sorry. I'm yeah, no, like taking ownership and letting it 
letting it in, but I think for me it was also just like in that weird space of like trying to figure out who and what I am. Uh-huh. Where it was like, okay, do you do you do the classical music thing? And now like also I had just gotten back in touch with my dad, who we hadn't been in touch for almost ten years, and so that was also just like and like like do my par- what are parents do what is a dad were you like t- were you testing or is experimenting with psychedelics at this point no that didn't come till later okay yeah i just remember the first time i tripped balls on mushrooms coming out of it being like nobody's ever known a fucking thing <laughs> like my parents <laughs> yeah. and I lo- like i've never not loved my parents yeah you know? totally but like but also being like 19 and after tripping like really heavy for the first time not knowing what i was getting into and yeah. then being like Oh, nobody's ever known a fucking thing, and anyone who says they have is yeah. full of shit. And it's like, I love you, mom, but like, but like, you're no, full of shit. And <laughs> I know? feel like I feel really lucky because I, I don't think that was ever a big discovery for me. Oh. I think because because my mom was a single mom and we move around so much, and it was just us. It was just like, all right, grow the fuck up real quick. Yeah, no, and that's, that, I was I was like definitely sheltered in in some yeah, because like sure. for us it was like more of a partnership. Yeah. Uh, no like we're gonna make this work together and you gotta pull your weight whereas like and I think like when I got back in touch with my dad we just like hadn't had a relationship yeah. and so it was just like who is this person mm-hmm. and who am I and does this person love me and do I love me like all this weird shit while also looking at my peers and feeling in my peers that was the other duality thing like I was in school with people who were my age but my friend group was dudes that were 10 years older than me and we were playing all the bars and house shows and like getting fucked up. And so there was just sort of a, I like had made myself like an outsider Uh to a lot of things. And then I was really married to that identity, which I think like a lot of us get that way. And yeah. yeah, So I was like comfort in that. Yeah. There's comfort in that. And I think for me, it was just like, well, if I sabotage myself, nobody else can, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, and just, like, being massively afraid of success because I was really good at a lot of things, but I totally hid from myself. No, that's that's really interesting. And the, and somewhere around this point is when you took off. Yeah. You And and earlier you mentioned all the places you went, but the majority of, and I'm, I think you've told me this, the majority of this was you were train hopping. Is that right? Or yeah, not down to Texas, but out east. Yeah. Okay, so... This is, uh, this is something I've always wanted to dig deeper in with you about. But, like, how, what's it like the first time you hop on a fucking train? You just, like. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, I mean, so much of it is so slow. Like, it's so much waiting. Uh-huh. It's so much waiting. And, yeah, and people, like, used to ask me, like, well, how did you, what? How did you make that decision? And I was like, you ask me that as if it were a calculated decision. Like yeah, it was I mean, just like I'm also 20 and drinking all the time or 19 whatever. You and know, I like feel and you're in that feeling of like you have nothing to lose, and it's just like this. Nope, this is it. Yep. And like, so really, like of what I remember, it was like moving through, and even just thinking about it now, like I am, I and I was alone for most of it. Oh, you hop trains for most of it alone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Genevieve. I know. Genevieve. I want to go back in time and just like hug like 20 year old Genevieve and just be like, you crazy. Yeah. Like, and I, I never got into too much trouble. I got very close. Yeah. And I like escaped a lot of gnarly situations. But um, yeah, like, and you know, you would meet people along the way. And like, I spent some time in Chicago and, um, 
Yeah, and then I came out here and stayed stayed mostly in Greenpoint with some friends and um yeah, and it's it's a it's a wild time and it's that yeah. was a lot of it too. Like one of the big things with and I think this is important is it was wild and I was like in my feelings about you know, I don't have anything to lose. I had so much to lose. And I think that's what really drove me to like, oh, fuck. I'm putting myself in really dangerous situations and in like kind of squalor mm -hmm. out of choice. Mm -hmm. Like it's a fundamental privilege to be able to do that. And that really opened my eyes to like, hey, you're not homeless. Yeah. You're not actually experiencing homelessness. You are not. You have a support network, and you've just told them all the fuck off. And that really, I don't think that landed until, like, way later. Yeah. But that's when I was like, oh, no, you use your, use your privilege for good. Like, I'm glad that I did it. It was uh -huh. incredible, and I met so many amazing people. I learned so much, and it put so much into perspective that otherwise I would not have had. But... I think every time I talk about it, I do get a little bit like it's not shame, yeah. But it's a little bit of like yeah, and this comes with a huge caveat of nobody forced me to do that, and it yeah, it was incredible and it shaped me in a lot of ways. But it was also like, oh, dude, you, okay, you gotta you gotta pull your weight in the world now, you know? Totally. Well, I mean, and I I think that there's like. Uh, um, I honestly think there's a, just so much value in the experience and the ability to um, to tell everyone to fuck off or to get up and leave. And, you know, because you don't value it until you realize that that's what you've done. Um, I also think that there's a lot of value in, you know, it's the hero's journey. It's like you like you gotta you gotta go into the cave you gotta do the thing and and you gotta realize how much of a jackass you were yeah you know, like that's part of it like yeah. i i i mean it's um i don't i don't ever think like i've ever been like a bad person a fundamentally totally. shitty person but i've been a shitty human being and i've done shitty things and i've like i've done like immature things yeah. and and things that i think it's really valuable to especially like kind of start like as you as you start doing the simple math of like what's valuable to you or or just trying to define like okay i'm moving into like the next part of life yeah like trying to look back on those shittier times or those the, like the shittiest version of you with like as much compassion as you yes! possibly can honor and yourself yeah because it's like because there is some real shit that you were going through that made you decide to be like fuck it i'm gonna yep. hop on a train yeah, you know, like for sure. That's, that's not just like a for sure a thing you just fucking do because you're like, I'm gonna have a weekend. <laughs> yeah, know? totally. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And like, and I do think at that at that point in time, I was like, this is my new life. Like, this is where I live. Mm -hmm. This is what I. This is who I am. Like, I'm gonna just live in punk houses my whole life, and you know, and like, fucking kudos to the folks who do that. Like, a lot of our friends do that, right? And like, cool. Uh, but it's also made me like, I really like nice things. I really like having a roof over my head. Oh, I really yeah. like, you know, and I think, but yeah, I think, and something that we talk about a lot is honoring every version of yourself. And like that version of Genevieve got to the next version of Genevieve got to the next version of Genevieve. Mm -hmm. And something that I repeat often is, and I 
can never remember who I heard this from, but it's not mine. Um, but that wishing the past were different is just another form of self-hatred. Oh, I love that. I really do like that. Yeah, like, what you wouldn't be the version of you that you are without everything and that doesn't mean that you have to be like stoked that everything happened the way it did but being able to honor that and being able to say like yeah because i like myself yeah well no that's so true and because like and i'm no expert and you know there's plenty of caveats that i could add before the statement but like because mental health is fucking crazy like because i can think of a time i can remember a time i was in or plenty of times, but, like, specifically two years ago or something like that, just being so completely anxious and paranoid and just, like, and my head just not being chemically right and not knowing what to do about that, that it, like, really drove people close to me away. Um, and, And me now being, like, you know, like a part of me being like, oh, that was the that was the love of your life, and you drove her away with yeah with this, and like, but me now being like, no, but you were going through some real shit. You were like responding in the very best way you knew how to in that moment. And what else do you can you ask yourself? Yeah, like go back in time as like a wizard and and like somehow <laughs> like use <laughs> magic to fix it. No, like you have to yeah. honor that that was where you were in that moment. And like, and you wouldn't have learned the things that you did learn, and like, yeah, and being able to say like, well, here and here were the good parts of it, and like, I'm not an asshole, and I'm not wrong, and like, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Is like, one of the, not even one of the, the the capital T, the biggest heartbreak of my entire life. I'm still not over it, but it still makes me happy to think about parts of it because like, whoa, being in love was amazing. Yeah. Like, no matter how fucked up it was and, like, you know, like, we still get sad about it. But and being able to honor that version of myself that was open enough to go there. To be in love. That's how yeah. you get hurt. That Courtney Marie Andrews song. Yeah. The record is, like, that's how you get hurt. Like, you. And it's. I and mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's. Uh, I. And you. Sh- um, yeah. And that. I don't know. It's. Uh, that compassion to have for your younger self is, is so, so important. Yeah. It took me a long time to like. Don't be a cop to yourself. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't. This is the thing. This is the thing. So, and we talk about abolish everything all the time. And like, that's so, and I'm obsessed with this in my work is values alignment is saying, okay, you say you're doing this thing or you say you believe in equity. You say you believe in integrity. What does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Are you living that every single day through your policies, through how you treat your staff, how you how you work on your mission, right? Yeah. And how you speak, like what language are you using and who and and what power are you giving up? Um totally. and through that, with the values alignment thing, like looking at myself wi- when I'm like in my negative self-talk bullshit or if I'm like feeling shitty and like then getting down on myself for feeling shitty, mm-hmm. then I always like look at it like okay, are if you truly believe that like moving towards different versions of all of these different beautiful models of justice, transformative justice and restorative to get there, which is the opposite. Well, yeah, it's not punitive. It's not policing. Yeah. Like, so if I really believe in that, why am I policing myself? Yeah. 
Why am I punishing him? Kill the cop in your head. And don't kill the cop in your head because that's punitive. Be nice to the cop in your head and rehabilitate. Rehabilitate. Transform the cop in your head. Transfer the cop in your head to get a a union job with the the metal workers union. You can drive an ass car. Yeah. Go to therapy. Yeah. You know, deal with childhood trauma that makes them want to beat up peaceful yeah. protesters. Like whatever, Trust and forgiveness. Whatever you can do We're to bringing fix everyone. That, that cop in your head. Yeah. Do that, but don't kill him because that's punitive. Because that's punitive. No, that's, a, um, that's, that's really, really valuable. It's helped me so much. Well I, well, I mean, the times that I've been in therapy saying, like, she's like, what's going on in your head at that moment? And I'm just like, you dumb piece of shit yeah what the fuck did you think was gonna happen it's the same <laughs> fucking thing that happened last time right it's the sa- like which like, is so wild because you would never say that to I, me i would never say that to even like the person i like least on the planet right but my internal dialogue for a long time was like chuck you're just a dumb piece of shit where the fuck did that come from right and like how, why did it take so long and why was it so difficult for me to like move past that? Like, but I think that's another, like, that's another version of expecting something from yourself that maybe isn't like it took you exactly as long as it needed to. Yeah. When I'm not saying, sorry, when I say why was it so hard to, to escape that version of myself is more, more of like societally, not, not blaming myself. Like, why isn't sure. it much more of a, I mean, why isn't like that just like something that like, yo, your 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 self-talk is really bad. My buddy yeah. Matt C. White used to say this to me all the time. He's like, it's like, Chuck, you like you're like I'm like I would second I'd, we'd be playing music together and I'd say something about like, I don't know. I'm just like I'm not that good of a guitarist or blah, blah, blah. He's like, dude, what are you the f- what are you talking about? Like anytime you do something cool, you have to make sure that like everyone knows that you don't think you're that cool. Yeah, like qualifying what, all your shit. Totally, and yeah. you're just like, dude, it's fucking annoying and it's exhausting. And yep. like, and I'm only saying this because I'm your friend, but like, be nicer to yourself. Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm saying it's annoying and it's exhausting and not like, fuck you. It's like, come on, man. Just we like, all yeah. like you. Why don't you, you like you? See you the same way we see you. And like, and I think it also gets to like, hey, like, there's a lot about you, but it's not all about you. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think about that a lot, too. Yeah. I mean, it is not all about you. Yeah. Except for this podcast. <laughs> it's all about me. No, just kidding. No, that's, I mean, that's what we call a segue in the biz. <laughs> no, to bring it back a little bit yeah. to that. Okay. So I want to talk to you about two points. One, if you remember it all, when you decided to take off from montana do you know what was like that deciding moment that 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 like like was there was there a piece of literature or an album you were listening to or was it was there was there anything specific that kind of like really kind of pushed you out the door i think no i think i was like enough in my shit that i was just like something has to change and i don't know what it is so i ended up moving to utah um, and it was just like, I'm going to, and in my head, I was like, I'm going to just stay there for like a couple months until I figure it out. I just have to get out of, out of Montana. And it was, it was a breakup. Mm-hmm. Like, and 
the person that I had been dating, we had been playing music together and we were like, yeah, we can still be in a band. That was not true. And so it was just like this, it felt like this sort of like implosion of community. And I was like, why am I here? I don't. And, and I sort of like came full circle of just like, I never actually wanted to move here. I love my friends and I, I still do. Like I even had a client in Montana and I was able to go back. Like I do love it, but there is a lot of like weird trauma there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So it was more just like, I just, like you were talking about earlier, like running to or running from for sure running from, like Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was going to. I had no plan. Yeah. But uh, anywhere but here. Anywhere but here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. And that's, uh, was that your first time on the East Coast after these travels kind of started when you went to New York? and Yeah, Chicago? it was my first time. It wasn't my first time in the Midwest, but it was my first time, yeah, New York and Rhode Island. Okay. That was the first time I came out here. Did you make it as far as Boston on that trip, do you remember? No, I didn't. Okay. I, uh, I, so, because I, I asked, because you and I met in Salt Lake City, and that would have been um, after all of the, the yeah. shit-assing. After all the shit, I think I had just graduated from school. I think I had just gotten my degree in economics when we met. No, you were at the U. I was getting my degree. Yeah, you were, were, like, we had kind of briefly met, like, a little bit before. Like, when you played on the Salt Lake City record. Oh, yeah. We, like, briefly met in the studio. And I was in school. We didn't know each other super well. Yeah, you were in school. And then, oh, man, what, this was summer 2014, 2015. Yeah, because I graduated 2014. So it was 2013. Summer 2013, we all started playing a bunch of music together. Yeah. Um, and I remember you were in school and you would ride all over Salt Lake City with that <laughs> cello on your back on your bicycle. <laughs> yeah. I remember being like, damn, Jesus. People thought I was crazy because I walked everywhere in Salt yeah. Lake. But like, <laughs> you rode everywhere. There's a bunch of hills in Salt Lake and you had a fucking cello on your back everywhere you went. It was impressive. It was an amazing but we played a bunch of music together met yeah met through our friend mutual friend vincent draper carson wolf um (laughs) and um i don't know what i'm getting at sorry but yeah that's where we intersected that's where we intersected was playing music in salt lake city and then we we used to play at copper common every monday yeah and just try and play random cover songs in weird keys yeah um Folsom (laughs) prison and g-sharp minor um (laughs) And then I, then I moved to Salt Lake City. And I, I want to talk about a little bit about just before I left, um, or around somewhere in this point, we were, we were planning a tour, like a big tour before I moved. Oh, yeah. To, to, um, before I moved out here to Brooklyn. And um, you were going to come on that tour. And then at some point, you just, between school and work and playing in multiple bands, like three bands, you were just like, I can't. I quit everything. You quit everything, pretty much. I Your quit jobs, my job. You quit both, I, all the bands. I quit. You didn't quit Wing and Claw. No, I didn't. And Wing and Claw is worth mentioning because Wing and Claw was the first. So, hi, James. Still my band. Like, that's been my main squeeze for almost eight years. Oh, wow. Eight or nine years. Um, And we, we met... Uh, and he tells the story so much better, but, um, we actually met when I was in Bird's Mile Home and his band Bramble and some of the Salt Lake folks will remember Bramble, um, were playing in Missoula and they came to the taco shop that I was working at and they were like, Hey, like you guys look cool. You guys want to come to a show later? And I was like being all cool. 
And I was like, yeah, maybe. And he was like, yeah, it's at the, you know, the Zootown Community Arts Center. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. We were playing that show. Yeah. And, like, I didn't even realize it. And then we ran into each other. And on that tour, we had a lot of the same routing. And so we, like, ran into each other in Portland, in Oli, and I think in Seattle. And, like, we ran into each other at Folklife. And then, like, a year and a half later, or two years later, I landed in Salt Lake City, and I started playing with some folks. Our friend Eric Rich, who would do the piano bike, uh, oh, yeah. like some of the Boing kids. And yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was playing in one of his ensembles, and James plays trumpet, and we saw each other, and we were like, hey, you look really yeah. familiar. Yeah. yeah, he was like, where's my home? I was like, yeah, Bramble. He was like, yeah, do you want to join Bramble? And I was like, uh, okay. So we started playing music together, and then we formed Wing and Claw. Um, so he plays guitar and I play cello. So that's been my like main, that's the only band I've never like that, that hasn't. Yeah. And we, but yeah, that summer, like I had graduated from college and I just gone through a breakup and was playing, I was playing, I was playing in four bands. I was four bands. And recording and playing multiple. We were playing between wh wh how much we were playing and how much everybody else was playing. It was like six nights a week, right. working full time at a job that was not a good time. It was demanding uh, way more of you than they needed to be. Yeah, and just like incredibly exploitative. Like, so I was like, I quit everything and I don't like anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I remember that. I remember being. Kind of, because I I, I tend to take and always have tend to take everything very personally and don't take and take myself far too seriously <laughs> in moments. Um, and I'm getting much better about it. But I remember taking that really personally when you quit the band and you canceled the tour. And we and had everything. like a breakup conversation. Well, and now and I remember us sitting down and having a conversation. This is like yeah. one of one of like a few examples of my like early or my twenties where vulnerability took place where there was a conversation yeah. of like like hey this is this is me i'm standing my ground this is you like and like like it was and it was a i don't know i just remember noting that as like this is a really important conversation to have you know like yeah i, I, don't, I don't know what i'm trying to get at other than um uh i don't know what what how do you feel about that conversation i think that was like whether we know it or not, that was like the foundation of our friendship. Oh, for sure. Um, was that conversation was us being like, okay, feelings are hurt, people are upset right now. Like, yeah, let's talk this out. Totally. And and I remember leaving that coffee date being like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, fuck yeah. Yeah, you totally. Know? And it's funny because later on, you know, I go through like a mental breakdown and all this shit, and I'm reading like all random stuff and. Um, read Brene Brown and she talks about vulnerability and armor and all this stuff and um, and it's just like uh, that, that's just like a fun time for me to think back on that yeah yeah and it's because I remember but it was also like our time all of us playing together was not unlike the time with Birds Mile Home like we were out of control oh. we drank so much and so there were points where none of us were communicating about anything. About I mean, anything. On stage. Yeah. Playing on different songs. Stage, <laughs> you know? Playing different songs. And we would like, somebody would show up late and there was yeah. just, and I was at the point where I was like, if I'm playing six nights a week and I got to get up, but like, no, I don't, 
like I and so I was figuring out my own boundaries of like where do I want to spend my time mm -hmm. and do I feel respected and do I feel and I think there's also a lot that goes with like navigating being the only woman in a group mm -hmm. and totally. like navigating that whole space like especially among like best friends and just like so yeah it was because it was partially overwhelmed and partially just like this isn't fun anymore yeah and it feels destructive and and so i was like I, there's no way that we can survive three weeks on the road together and and i was really appreciative of the fact that we were able to have that conversation because mm -hmm. you and i had gotten close but yeah. weren't like really great pals well, i'm just not good at communicating or especially <laughs> i'm much better now but yeah like that was just that's not what you do you just fucking yeah like i don't know you and take, it was cool because like you get angry and you shut up about it and then you <laughs> totally blow up later and on. like in no way did we like blow anything up because we sat there and i was like this is how i feel yeah and it kind of sucks and totally. this is what i'm gonna do about it well and i i remember also looking back on that time um something that that uh like i can i can look at now and be like i can pinpoint all of that chaos and it was like that entire situation was ho screaming for a band leader but yeah. everyone was their own fucking band yes you know what i mean it was yes. like and i remember me being like like i had been especially that night at copper common like i had been approached about like hey i want you to play music here every monday and then i was like i don't know if i have enough music to play for three hours so then i just started inviting and then it just like turned into like Oh, we're all just gonna like fucking get wasted and just play music and for play three or four hours, songs, and like we're all totally. taking turns. But and it was, it was would have been, had I like now I would have probably been like, okay, guys, this is my gig. Like I'm gonna pay you guys this, blah blah blah. You want to play your songs? That's cool. But like this is what's going on because yeah. musicians are fucking drunk cats, and they <laughs> like and they need they yeah. need a band leader like and, and big ups to copper common for like still being our friends and after putting a up lot with of that. that oh god so many things oh my god multiple times drinking to the point where i mean this was after we were done playing but like i woke up multiple times that summer with like scratches on my face and being like what happened and oh people being god. like you just collapsed <laughs> you just like fell faced first on the concrete yeah. and i'm like oh you know oh what god. happened i was saving up money to move to new york so i wasn't eating meals except for when the girls at este would give me free pizza because i worked across yeah. the street at beer bar oh, that's right the only things i would eat all day other than that was uh like beer bar french fries and like weed edibles and then I just get shit and housed so at night. Like, oh my god! Yeah, I'd get yeah. so drunk and then just like collapse. And yeah, I'm sorry. And that's where <laughs> we all were at. Yeah. Oh, we none of us were. I mean, yeah. And I was like, I was not quite at that point, but I was also trying to like build a career. And I, I just had a moment where it was just like, like hit the brakes. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And I like I reevaluated a lot of shit and I took a lot of leaps that I like I quit my job with no plan mm -hmm. with, no, you know, and like and it all worked out. But, yeah, that was a wild time. No, it totally was. And I, I know I had like one foot out the door and I knew I was moving. And that's part of why the chaos ensued, because yeah. like, I would have at some point been like put my foot down, been like, this needs to not be like this. But I was just yeah. like, you know, I'm just like hanging out with my friends getting drunk because I'm, I'm fucking yeah. moving in a few months. And at that point, I was just so over 
Salt Lake. Yeah, but I think it does speak to like the fact that even like through that fog, we were able to like sit down and have that conversation. And yeah, I totally agree that that has there's like a mirror of that conversation of like that level of vulnerability every single time we interact. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. And and part of why to kind of like address this as, as a podcast, like why I bring it up, is because I think that's a really valuable thing of which we could talk about. Yeah, more about and and I think having gone like I said earlier 20 years without knowing how to deal with shit other than like I don't know I don't even know what I'm saying what I said back then but you know what I mean like like now that I'm much more mental and physical health forward I want to have these conversations or point out these things just in case anyone who's listening that can be like oh having the hard conversation is the better option and it's uh I think Brene Brown I'm gonna misquote but like said something about like in her vulnerability research that like the the shitty part of an awkward conversation lasts 15 seconds oh usually. yeah completely and like that's like a, there's actual she has like data on that yeah you know, like and she said something like 15 seconds to 30 seconds something i don't know exactly but then it's like that relief that you know like then it's then it's all to like good feelings like i, I don't know so, and sometimes it's not and that's okay and i, I think it's totally okay and yeah. i think that's the other thing too is it comes down to trust and like and and do you trust your friends and do you love your friends enough to tell the truth because if we don't have those conversations fundamentally we're not being honest no and that's and i think that like and this is a big leap but i like to make the joke that nothing works in this world like yeah i spent eight days trying to get my internet <laughs> fixed from Verizon. And every single time I called them, I spent 30 minutes on some fu- fucking dance trying to get an actual human being on the phone. That's my long-winded way of saying nothing in this world works. Yeah, and Noth- speaking of vulnerability, and nobody can see me on the podcast, yeah. I'm getting the vulnerability bear. Oh, Will yeah. Will you tell the people about the vulnerability bear? Oh, yeah, the vulnerability bear. Um, well, I don't know the original story of it too well but the other day i was feeling just really really ornery and not happy and i thought the world sucked and nothing works in this world i was really upset about it and then i was being a real real grump and genevieve presented me with this stuffed animal bear and was like what did you yeah well when like when i was like super in my grump town Mm -hmm. um one of my friends sent me flowers and it was like a get well package, you know? So yeah. it like, and this bear, it's like got little hearts on this little bow tie. Yeah. And I remember seeing it and being like, that's fucking stupid. I don't care. And then I hugged it and I was like, oh, oh I feel better. And yeah, and we, Chuck, yeah, you, you were like, and then I told you to hug it. And you're like, I'm not walking around bedstead with this. <laughs> And then I walked home with it in my arm like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so in the spirit of vulnerability, I got the vulnerability bear. It was sitting on my wall on top of Matt C. White's deer head. Yeah. And I think that that is really good friendship practice. Totally. I think so. I think I think it's really valuable to let your friend know they're being a brat and then holding them <laughs> while they can be a brat and yeah. be a brat. And then... And I don't know. And then being like, okay, now what are you going to do? And yeah. that's, that's, uh, um, we're kind of going all over the place. <laughs> I hope I love our conversation. I so I, I really it's hope just that for us. other people listening do too. But that's, um, 
kind of full circle back to well, I want to dive into like your move to to the East Coast. Yeah. Real quick, just because it it kind of like ties it into exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast. And after you finished your undergrad, you kind of looked around and were like, I can't do what I want to do. Or you there were tell me tell me about how you ended up on the East Coast because it's it's just kind of mind-blowing how you, you ended up where you are now. Yeah. As far as like creating your own field and 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 it's so much like trail like a dirtbag's guide to life on the road it's like no this is like genevieve's guide to like blazing a fucking trail and like burning it down if it's in your way <laughs> and i you, like and not through punitive justice yeah but totally, like, <laughs> totally. um i want to talk about that because it's it's really impressive and i think it's really valuable thank you um yeah so i i graduated 2014 and I, after I quit everything I had ever done, um, I started working for a market research startup and I was like, you know, and it was a lot of data driven decision making. Like one of my old econ professors had started the company. So I was employee number one and we scaled up to 30 employees, like including interns. That's how many people were on staff. And it was amazing because it gave me so much experience in like, Build, how do you build a company? Because mm-hmm. the CEO was, you know, off looking for funding. And so I was, I did a lot of like the internal, okay, how is all of this going to work? But yeah. it was market research, which was how do you make more money for people already making money? And I was like, I just wasn't excited about it. I yeah. was good at it, but I just didn't care. And, but we had a couple of nonprofit clients who their question was always, can you look at our data? And tell us, you know, what impact we're making. Because that's what funders want to know, is what are you actually doing? And I was like, yeah, maybe. And the answer was always no, no. A, like understanding social change doesn't work that way. Yeah. Which is a conclusion I got to, I followed a lot of people there later. But, um, but so often it was just like, oh, you don't have any data. Like your internal process just doesn't make any sense. And that's not necessarily the nonprofit's fault. It can be the funding source or, you know, because so many organizations that are mission driven Mm -hmm. and fighting for a cause are started by like people who care about it in a grassroots way. Scaling and building a, a data infrastructure is not the first priority and nor should it be. So I just got really, really interested in, so I left that job and I, I started working for a disability services provider in Utah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was hilarious because it was, uh, I was like, hey, you should hire a data analyst and that should be me. And they were like, Wh- why? We don't need a data analyst. And I was like, no, I, you do. Like, I'll work for you for free for three months to prove to you that you need a data analyst. In the meantime, I was like, okay, how am I going to pay my rent? So I worked at, and our friend Carson, our mutual friend Carson, actually, like, I remember he drove me around to help me apply for jobs at, like, nurseries, at plant nurseries. So I got a job at a garden store watering plants for the summer. And I helped, I, like, got involved in some company where I was helping write SAT prep material Mm -hmm. for, like, some company in Japan. And I was teaching cello lessons and I was doing something else that I don't remember what it was, but I was like figuring out how to make ends meet while trying to prove to this organization, like, hey, I, you need a data analyst. Like, I think this stuff can work for social justice and for, for good. And they were like, 
why do you keep showing up? And then finally they were like, actually, yeah, we should hire you. And so they hired me as an analyst and I thought I would be like off in a corner running numbers somewhere, but it was all just like, oh no, how do you get 300 social workers to care about entering information? So it immediately became a culture problem. Like it uh, wasn't actually about the data gotcha, at all. Yeah. And so like root causing well, a lot of that data stuff. has to exist. Yeah. It's just not being... Like, the information is there. And so, and because, like, with government funding, there's so many regulations, it's just like, well, you've got to do this anyway. How can you use it to understand how to better serve your population? And so I just, I learned so much about how the nonprofit industry works and how especially social services works and and that intersection between people and and government funding. And, um, And so I worked my way up to the executive suite. And so within a year, I was chief data management officer. So I got to be in on all the executive decisions. Like, and it was really, and this was with a lot of help with mentors and, you know, people who really believed in me. Um, But it was really interesting because I was just like, hey, hey, give me a job that doesn't exist anywhere, please. I don't know how to do it, but I think we can do it. And then worked my way up into that. So that was a really, really cool experience and really helped me understand how do you humanize and and democratize data? Because, like, mm-hmm. kind of like how when people are just like, oh, well, I'm not a math person. Yeah. Like, okay. But that's, like, math anxiety. Like, we're surrounded yeah, we, by information, and we all make decisions based on it. Yeah. But we've convinced ourselves that it, like, belongs to some different class of people. Yeah. Well, and also sometimes, like, the I'm not a math person thing is just, like, a way for someone to, like, wave away it's like I, I don't get it and it's like yeah but it doesn't make it not true like the math yeah the math objective yeah and I think like at least in my experience and like with the people that I work with a lot of it is insecurity yeah like a lot of it is like no but like I'm a creative person or I'm yeah like I'm a soft person like I care about programming or I care about like what happens with clients mm-hmm. so that isn't my wheelhouse and therefore I don't get to make a decision about it and so a lot of what I care about is like no you you deserve a seat at the table so how do you access the skills that will better serve you as a decision maker in whatever field you're in so so yeah so um so I was doing that and it was amazing and I they gave me so much leeway and so much runway to like yeah you're yep you're doing all of it so just keep going so I was just essentially running until apprehended and um, like built a whole new performance management thing like it built their first theory of change this was a 50 year old organization and a theory of change is like how does change happen mm-hmm. and so it was really really fun because yeah, I just totally. I learned so much and and then in the middle well not in the middle at the end of that I went to a conference in Boston mm-hmm. um, called it was the social social entrepreneurship conference at Harvard, and because I was starting to get to the point where I was like, I don't, I want, I'm lonely. Yeah. I love what I do, but I don't know anybody else who's doing what I do. Yeah. I don't think I made it up. Like that would be crazy. And then when I went, uh, I was going to all these different conferences, and and it was amazing to see people working with data for social good. Not necessarily what I was doing, but at least they were thinking about it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, these are my people. And that that's when it was like, I think this can be a real career. Like I think I think we're going from fucking around to finding out. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I think it's happening. Totally. And 
But I was still kind of like, I was still like, it's so hard to brainstorm alone. And I was the youngest executive team member by 30 years. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of posturing. There was a lot of just like, like patting on the head, you know? Mm. And so I was like, oh my God, like, I think this can be a real thing. So I remember I went to Boston for this conference. It was like two days in February. And Boston in February is not the most pleasant thing. I don't like Boston anytime, but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> so and I'd never been there. And uh, and I was there for maybe 28 hours. And I was like, I'm moving here. I'm moving here. Yeah. I'm moving here. With no evidence on how I could do it. Like, I didn't have any savings. I didn't. But I was like, the, uh, they're speaking my language. Totally. I have to. This is it. This is it. And so, yeah, that was in February of 2018. And, and pretty much just the same thing, but like amplified is I just like, I've anybody I talked to, I was like, do you know anybody in Boston? Do you, and, and then I went to a different conference and ended up, you know, sitting next to somebody at dinner who worked at an international development organization in Boston. I was like, Hey, I want to come to that town. And he was like, why? And I explained it to him. He's like, you're a wild person. Why? Because I think that's the other thing, too, is people tend to be sort of blown away by like, oh, you know what you want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'll help you get what you want. I don't. What are you talking about? OK, yeah, I'll get out of your way or yeah. I'll help you. And and so it was four months of going back and forth. Like I like used friends miles like um, anything I could do to get back to Boston. I stayed with friends like um, which is where music came in handy. Right. Because mm -hmm. like you end up knowing people from all over the country totally. and. But yeah, so I was able to put myself in front of decision makers or like people who I saw as leaders in different fields because this wasn't a real field yet. Yeah. And so it was like people in philanthropy, in impact measurement, in academia. I like got meetings at some of the schools in Boston um, and in Cambridge and and essentially just put myself in front of them and was like, this isn't a job, but I think it should be a job. What do you think? Yeah. And people have been so helpful. Yeah. And you know this, like I get super emotional about it. I, it's amazing. Like people I had never ever met before who had no reason to give me any time at all, like yeah. from a cold email to a phone call, whatever it was, and meeting them in person in Boston, and they were just like, "Yeah, I will bend over backwards to do whatever it is to like we need you here. Boston needs you." And and I'm still friends with these people. Like we still talk yeah. pretty frequently. And and it's some like high powered folks who like didn't necessarily owe me anything and who've just been like, no, this is, you're going to change the whole world and whatever I can do, you know? And like, yeah. so I think like moral of that story is just like, A, being able to talk about your goals mm -hmm. and B, when your goals make you uncomfortable to say out loud, you know, you got the right goal. Yeah. Like, cause and it was scary as shit. Them. Yeah. It was scary as shit to be like, no, I'm moving to Boston to do a job that doesn't exist anywhere. Cause that was the other thing is I looked around and I was like, holy shit. Maybe I did make part of this up. Yeah. And there have been people, you know, we all work together on, like, these ideas of how this could work. But it was like, oh, whoa. Oh, yeah. wait, no, this is a new thing. And, yeah, so I, I was able to land um, a short-term contract with uh, an international development organization. Um, and it was magic because the whole goal was, like, okay, work on the short-term contract, build up a client base, mm -hmm. and go independent. 
with what I don't know yet. Yeah. And so that helped me build out, like I've got a whole framework that I use, like an entire methodology. And that was kind of my case study for it. What's for this international development company? Yeah. So, and they're, they're called Oxfam. Mm -hmm. So they're like a save the children or um, like BRAC is another one. Um, okay. But yeah, so a lot of like, in, like they started out, I believe in the seventies around like water, clean water access. Um, so they worked in a lot of different countries and, um, but yeah, and their HQ was in Boston mm -hmm. and then they had offices in DC. So I got to see like the policy side of stuff too. And cool. yeah, so it was essentially just like, and then walking into the room and being like, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. And I was able to get my hands in so many different pieces and, and then they became a client of mine after that. But just the theme of everything has always just been like, I'm going to wait in the lobby and I've done this before. <laughs> I'm going to wait in the lobby until somebody comes and talks to me and passes me up the chain of command. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's tenacity. Like it's, it's something that kind of comes up a lot on this podcast or like uh, specifically talking a couple weeks ago with my buddy, Casey Caladucci, who was, was my roommate in Salt Lake when you and I yeah. knew each other. But, um, he, uh, when we knew each other, when we knew each other in Salt Lake, we still know each other. <laughs> um, but just like that tenacity of like knowing that you're, like knowing, knowing you want something, knowing you're going to get it, not knowing how, yeah. but just knowing that like I've got to like put my body or mind in this space until yeah. it like that's kind of my, been my approach to my, my entire music career. Yeah. It's, it's just been like one day being like, OK, I think I want to do this. Yeah. Um, or being like, I think I can do this. That that's was the, the key. that was the big goal. Being, you know, saying it out loud and being like. Yeah. I think I, I have the potential to be good enough at this to make a living doing this. Yeah. Which is like from my blue collar world, just fucking bananas. Yeah. Like, and then um, and then just being like, OK, well, now I just got to just keep doing it. Yeah. And that's the key, right, is to not because there are so many magical things that can come out of it. Totally. And like all my friends know, you know, every single week we talk and like I give them all my updates. They're like, Jesus, like who the fuck? But then it's also being gentle with yourself when you have kind of a slow week or like a thing doesn't go the way you want it to. Okay, cool. Get off the mat. Like you're good. Yeah. And to keep going. And and I think the other benefit of saying things out loud is it also teaches you to ask for help. Yeah. Because I've done none of this alone. Yeah. None of it. And one of the biggest turning points in my career was being able to to ask for help, but to also say, I don't know. Like, yeah. that was the biggest thing, especially working with a lot of different personalities. And yeah, because like, like we've talked about, I work with foundations, I work with nonprofits, I work with hedge fund managers, I work with folks in the entertainment industry. Like, it's all over the map. Yeah. And... And it's a lot of smart people, and I'm incredibly lucky. I work with the smartest, funniest, sweetest people. They all have massive egos, and I can have that too. And so being able to walk into a room and let go of being the most talented, being the smartest, being whatever, and just like you're here because of the mission, like you're here because of your vision, and everything I do is always aligned to what I believe in, which is like building a world of trust, and forgiveness yeah. through community resourcing and through community care and transformative justice. Like, and not only in like the criminal system, but, or the criminal justice system, but the way money moves around. Yeah. I want to change the way money moves around. Totally. You yeah. know, and I think that's a, it's kind of a very necessary thing 
um, considering where we're, where we're at yeah. financially, just as far as like, I mean, um, money and power is just it's it it's all about power and like totally. But yeah, so like that that's been the theme. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I went to Boston in a, in February. I ended up moving to Boston in July, and then it, and that was 2018. And then I was there for about a year and a half. And then that's when I knew. Like, I had, I already knew that I like Boston. Boston's mm-hmm. great. But Boston. New York I'm is the shit. Boston's fine. <laughs> but New York is amazing. And, yeah. and for the work that I do, like, Boston is such an academic town. Mm-hmm. D.C. is such a policy town. And New York is a money town. Is finance. Yeah. Exactly. And, and not to mention, like, all of our friends and just it's an amazing place um so yeah i started getting really serious about moving to new york in june yeah we were just talking about this in june of 2019 Mm -hmm. um and did pretty much the same i was like cool if you could move three thousand miles with absolutely no evidence and not knowing anybody and turn it into this like cool of a thing because i ended up registering my llc in February of 2019, mm-hmm. which was the whole goal, like being able to go independent and build this whole thing. And um, so it was essentially like, cool, turn it up. Yeah. Like, what's that? Like, do it, but do it bigger. And that's, yeah, that's how I got to New York. How you moved here. Yeah. yeah. And so what I kind of want to stress, and I don't know if, if, um, if I'm just under um, or if I'm underselling my audience is, is that like this? What you do, nobody had done before. Yeah. Like taking pretty much taking like data and using that data in order to inform processes, systems. Like yeah, um, and in a like human centered way. Human centered. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, like that's, that's very the important. Yeah. And um. And th- to me, okay. So right now, what I w- like. I'm going to try and articulate this and, and something that's happened since uh, like the protest for George Floyd and, and the movement that's happened this whole summer is, is me being just like blown away by just different ideas and things that I'd never heard before or heard whispers of in like the punk community or the feminist community or like whatever intersectionality, like these, these whispers of things that I had heard and now kind of like he- hearing them presented to me at, at talks or present or or protests as um, as like oh this is the future that we could have and then also like s- posting things on the internet and having people from back home or whoever kind of like rolling their eyes at me or, or saying like oh yeah abolish the police and then what so then we got private security like Blackwater all over the town and stuff like that and or just being <laughs> like or saying like why change it this is how it's always been and it's fine yeah and and I mean, while that's very like inherently an awful thing to just hear any human being say because progress, but it's like I love that I've heard multiple times at these. It's like or at, at protests and a big theme that I feel like I hear is like just because you all can't imagine a better world, don't say that it's impossible. Yeah. Just because you can't imagine like. Just because the field that you think should exist doesn't exist doesn't mean you can't fucking create it. Yeah. And like just because a community based like or a people forward economy. Yeah. Just because that doesn't exist because capitalism right. is what we're we have to deal with 
doesn't mean that like like quit selling ourselves so fucking short. Yes. Like imagination. Like we got to the fucking it's moon in the sixties. Yeah. Like how the fuck can we not have a people based economy where like houseless people are taken care of yeah. when most of Manhattan apartments sit empty? Like uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, and I know that I'm. I'm just a fucking dude who writes songs. No, but that's where you got to stop, right? Well, well, no, and I, I'm just for the people listening that yeah. might be like, okay, Chuck, but, but it's like, I'm just a fucking dude who writes songs, but it's also not my, it's like, it is and it isn't my place to like, to invent this new world. It's just a part of like, it, it just like, it's my place to be there for it and to totally. like ki- kind of like do what I can to be a well, conduit for it. I would say it. it's no one's job to invent it because we're co-inventing it. Because we need to build it. And that's what community, that brings yeah, me back to community. because no one person is going to do it, right? And this, I think this is also like, as we're seeing all of this like, like demonumenting, which is amazing, like pull it all down, pull all the statues of, of everybody yeah. down. Most but American history, yeah. But honestly, when when we decide to deify one person, I think we're lost. I think we're lost. Like we're so focused on individuality and less focused on collectivism, and like that's a huge part of it. But um, but there's a really great quote from Emergent Strategy about how, and I'm gonna butcher it, but how all organizing is science fiction because you're creating conditions you've creating a just equitable world has never existed like you're creating conditions that have never ever ever existed and yeah so i really like i really appreciate what you're saying about like if it doesn't exist build it and and we were having this conversation the other day like if you're in a space where conversations that you care about aren't happening and you find yourself saying oh why is nobody talking about this motherfucker why are you not talking about it you start the conversation speak up yeah if it doesn't exist and you think it should, go build it. Totally. And ask your friends to help you because it's going to be fun as hell. No, totally. And because you're, it's going to be better for having their input. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And like, and there's all sorts of things about groupthink or group thought or I don't know, you know, like all, all sorts yeah. of like there's, I mean, the, the important part, it's like my brother and I bought some fly fishing stuff. Neither of us, like I've been fly fishing once this weekend, but like we were doing the, he had an open face reel. I didn't even have a reel. I had a rod. Like I was just, I brought my camera. I was just going to like shoot some stuff. Like I was just like, I just want to fucking hang out in nature. <laughs> but then we were like, I've wanted to learn how to fly fish since I was a kid. And yeah. just never, like we didn't have, like our stepdad worked a ton and wasn't really an outdoorsy person. And our dad was nowhere around. So like learning how to fly fish was, it was just like, for 20 years it wasn't an option until i decided i was gonna fucking do it yeah and like yesterday we just went and bought some shit and yes. figured out how to do it and we returned it to dick sporting goods because because <laughs> it wasn't that good and fuck yeah. Dick's sporting goods but uh <laughs> but like and the whole time today i'm trying to cast and i, and I kind of know what i'm doing but i kind of don't and like every third cast i'm just like tangled in something or i'm caught in a tree or whatever <laughs> and i'm just laughing at myself and yeah. just having the best time ever because like if we're going to b- build a better world we're all going to have to look pretty fucking stupid it's along be the so way messy. or it's going to be messy and it's going to but like but it's going to be better than what we have and that's what's so beautiful about it and being able to have like what we were talking about earlier having hard conversations like 
this also means holding each other accountable. Totally. And it means having honest conversations with your friends and the people that you care about and the people who aren't your friends. And like, and that's how we learn. Like learning in public is gross and we're gonna, we say the wrong thing all the time, but we have to because that's the only way we learn. Totally. And it's, it's my, my, uh, it's my mom being, or like, I'm not even gonna say my mom, it's me the, when the, the pronoun conversation started to become a lot more like mm -hmm. mainstream or just become more into my consciousness of being like, oh, this is a thing. I didn't know that this was really a thing, probably because I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. You know, like, like really, it's like it w I wasn't paying attention. Like, this, right. and, but like, ignorance isn't, isn't a, an excuse, but it can be a, a buffer or a, or a, like a way to, I don't, I don't know exactly, or it's like, sorry, what I was getting at is, um, is immediately being like, I'm afraid I'm going to fuck up and I'm going to look like an asshole. So like, this makes me yeah. uncomfortable and I hate it. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 And then yeah. just being like sitting with that for a bit or, you know, and then eventually it, it moving to like, well, this person like identify and I, I'm not trying to appropriate or try and like claim anything, but yeah. like, as far as I can, well, it's like, okay, this is the way I'll put it. My bass player, Jared, used to, like, be like, can I call you Charlie or Chucky or blah, blah, And I yeah. just, like, hate the, f I just, like, Chuck or Charles, everything else I don't really care for. Yeah. And and that was when I, and, but he would, like, kind of sneak in a Chucky or a, or a Charlie here and there. And now I don't really fucking care anymore because I try to not take myself as seriously anymore. Yeah. But kind of, like, having it click in that moment and being, like, and it's it's a totally different thing. Especially. Yeah. There's, like, but but, like, for me being, like, yeah, I can just fucking like, try and get oh, someone's pronouns right. Oh, if you feel right. that way about that thing, like imagine what about it's a like. nickname, yeah. and not like how I identify as like in yeah. my body, and you know, like right. and it's and and it's like sometimes the first step to any sort of progress is really abrasive. Is me yeah. getting really angry or uncomfortable yeah. or or like and anger is not the right word, but just but like being defensive. Like, defensive is yeah. the right word. And and it's like the hard conversation. It lasts fifteen seconds, yeah. and then and then you step into the like. I'm I'm throwing this fly rod all over town and I, or all over this river, and every once in a while, my fly lands somewhere totally. that it seems like a fish might want that. I didn't get any bites, but like yeah, and like and that gets to personal agency of like you can choose to make it fun, totally. or you can choose to make it the hardest thing in the world. And you'll be right. Yeah. You'll be right. And like, that's the cost is cool. You're right. And you're pissed. And like, yeah. And I think such a big part of that too is like being willing to say, I don't know. And when you get like called forward to not take it personally, cause yeah. it's not about us. And like, and like everybody has like their different things that they're, they're up against or that they're working through. But yeah, I think so often it's, it's empathy. It's empathy and compassion. Like, yeah. those are the two. And it's I hear you. And I think the thing for me, like, whenever I feel defensive, I think, okay, if you're feeling defensive, there's something there. There's, so yeah. even if you think right now that you're right, you feel icky and weird, which means that there's something to dig up there. Yeah. The gross feelings usually mean there's something to dig up. And it's yeah. like, it's, um, you know, it could be something from your past, could be something that's going on, could be a gut feeling of, like, something's not right like you know uh, yeah. there's, there's a lot usually there's something to explore there and 
what sucks is it's like our society is very much about like you get to fit within these boxes of feelings, especially yep. gender based. Yeah. Like you get to fit within these boxes and don't let us see any of the other ones. Yeah. You know, like, cause like, cause I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to see a man crying. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So like, Which, don't like, fucking cry if you're a man. There's other shit on the agenda, <laughs> y'all. Like, get with it, cause we yeah. got to get to the next point. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. And I um, and this this has been a very uh, not uh, typical of my podcast is just because we're we're kind of jumping all over the place, but I really love it and I think it's really valuable. And something that I ask a lot of, or like I kind of like, do you have a rule of the road? And um. But there's a rule that you and I have talked about in the past. I don't want to put words in your mouth because if you have a rule of the road for like touring or anything like that, I would love to hear it and a story behind it. But also, there's a rule of Plan Bs. No Plan Bs. Yes, you and I need to talk about because it's been a really valuable thing for me in the past several months to just keep this in mind and and I think there's something really to it. So, if you want to talk about that first, or if you have a different rule. We can go over that. No, you know me really well. That's yeah. totally my rule. That's the rule. Um, that's the rule because I think all of the other rules come from it. And so, like, and this is something that a mentor of mine taught me. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, the rule is just in case it got lost: no plan Bs. No plan Bs. Yeah. You make a plan and you fucking stick with and it. And you stick with it. And what? And I remember the first time somebody said that to me, I was like, "What are you talking about? That sounds like irresponsible planning." Yeah, totally. <laughs> like that's a bad idea. As the king of irresponsibility, I'm like. That sounds pretty like, really? <laughs> yeah, totally. And like, but what it was, I remember I was going after a huge contract um, that essentially allowed me to do almost everything I'm doing now. And, um, and like, it was a, it was a big career moment mm-hmm. and it was, it was landing a really big uh, contract with part of the world bank to build their data strategy in the way that I wanted to build a data strategy. Yeah. Which was great, like, which is insane. Yeah, and they like, bro, the, like, you used to play cello in my band. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we used to get drunk. Yeah, and yeah, so and it was like there was a lot of self advocacy that went into it because, like, I didn't because my firm was so young and like I was still pretty unproven, I didn't fit the criteria of a vendor, For and the world so Bank or, yeah, or a part of the world or whatever. It yeah, is. and so like so they ended up like leapfrogging some rules and had to go straight to leadership to like, and it was big and it was, there were so many moments where I almost backed down Mm -hmm. where I was like, no, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm not ready. And, and I remember talking to this mentor of mine and, um, and he's like, well, do you want it? Cause I was like, if I don't get this, I need to figure out a different stream of revenue. Like, cause it was going to be a full-time project. Mm -hmm. And, and that was it was so scary for me to not have something in my back pocket. Yeah. Because if it, if this didn't come through, I wasn't gonna be able to pay any of my bills. But because I knew that, I worked so I've never worked so hard in my life. Yeah. And I've worked really hard for a lot of my life. Yeah, and like totally. so so the idea of no plan B's is it's not irres- irresponsible planning. Because it's make your plan A so fucking good. So airtight. And ask for all the help that you need, because you cannot do it alone. Be articulate. What do you want? 
Say, say that goal out loud. That say makes it you out feel loud and say keep it out loud enough times. Yeah, Sorry, I don't want to take words from you. Totally, but, to but where you know what the fuck it is. Yes, and let people hear you. Yeah, and make people hear you. And and you'll notice that when you say it out loud enough, you get a lot more specific. And you say, and then all of a sudden, like this world opens up of like, oh my god, that's how I could do it. Oh my god, that's how I could. And so for me, it was like, no, you're moving to New York. Yeah. No, you're moving to the neighborhood that you want to move to. You're like you're you're building a field you're moving to boston you're building a framework you're getting all the meetings with these you know like and you're you're co-building with your heroes and and i think that's also the that's also sitting in the lobby until somebody talks to you is like well no i I didn't have any other plans so like this is where i'm at what are you doing like i'm excited for you to catch up and and to do so not in an arrogant way and not in a way that's like the world owes me this but in a way that's I know exactly what I want and now I can reverse engineer from that. Mm-hmm. And like, and one thing that I tell a lot of the people that I work with is like, we're so afraid to daydream yeah. and we're so afraid to, to say the thing out loud. Mm-hmm. Like we're afraid to say, no, I think we can really solve poverty because that sounds naive because nobody's ever done it before. Yeah. And but how much, how much have we actually tried? And you it gets beaten I mean? out of us of just like, no, like be reasonable. Fuck that. Be unreasonable yeah. and have one plan and make it a big plan. And then when you get that, you know, and this is something I'm working on and you and I have talked about this a lot. Get another plan. Totally. Once you're done, what's next? Or cor- course correct. Or the course correct. Course correct yes. is also a big thing for me where it's like no plan B's but course correct. You know, no like plan B's, but you can change it. Things, and I think about this like everything is on wheels. When your data informs your strategy, yeah, pay attention. Like, what are you doing? Like, what yeah. is being alive if not collecting data at every moment? Exactly, that's what you're doing with your environment. And yeah. so, as things start to change, yeah, and you're you're informed better of what your plan A is. Your plan yes. A changes. Your plan it's not A, a plan changes, B. and it should change. Because you're getting more and more information. Because you're changing. Yeah. And we tend, I think we tend to beat ourselves up for that. I think we tend to, well, I said that I wanted this that's thing. That's projection. But now I think that's really yeah. projection I th- um, in a way. Because, because we, and I'm, I'm so bad about this. This is like putting off my happiness has been like the majority of my life. Like yeah. When I, when I finish that song or when I finish that record, when I, when yeah. some band actually finally asked asked me to go on tour with them instead of me having when I get a booking agent who books the tour for me instead right. of me having to do with it, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be so <laughs> fucking happy that like everybody that's ever met me will be so jealous of how fucking happy. Which I if am. that's the motivation. No, it's not the motivation. But right. it's but it's just like like oh, so that's that's the kind of level of happy that you think that it's it's just like right. this imaginary thing that's like no, where are you right now, motherfucker? Yes. Like, where are you right now? Yeah. Why are you not here and happy right yes. now? Yeah, because who gives a shit? Yeah. No, and this is the other rule. Nothing matters. Yes. In, yeah. the, in the best way. Yes. Like, so what? If you fall down and scrape your knee. I got in a bike wreck today. Like me and this little girl collided. She's okay. Okay, I was like, damn. <laughs> I know it was. I felt terrible, but she like we were on the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, like Parkway, and yeah. uh, she veered way out, and I was like, I just can't go any farther. I don't know what to do, and it was. I like went. I landed on my back and was oh, like, no. and she was okay, but we were both just sort of in shock, and I was like, did I just like beat a small child up? Like, yeah. 
what just happened? And then I was like, and I could feel myself getting like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I like talked to her parents and I was like, is everything cool? And they're like, yeah, are you all right? I was like, yeah. And like, there were a couple seconds where I was like, I should probably, I don't believe in punitive justice, but I should go to jail. Like, I'm terrible. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, don't spiral. Yeah. Like, you didn't get hurt. You're a little bruised up, but you're okay. Yeah. And it's like, but that's the same thing is like, you're gonna fall down. You're going to fall down and how you react to that falling down and how you can plan around like, Hey, I might fall down there. Mm-hmm. Let me plan around it. Totally. And that's how you, yeah, you refine your plan A. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Damn. Um, I'm just like totally struggling to put together this thought that just popped in my head and now like <laughs> is trying to leave as quickly as possible. Um, fuck. But just really quickly, while you're getting gaining regaining the thought, yeah. um, is that's the other part of saying it out loud because it's not only saying it out loud for you, it's saying it out loud for everybody else because people will be like, I know somebody there, mm-hmm. I can help you. Totally. That's part of saying it out loud is that then the world knows and the world is like cool because nobody's gonna help you if they don't know how, totally. and by you saying it out loud, you're inviting the world to come play with you. No, that's, it's very true. And I also feel like in a weird wooey way, it's like you're speaking it into existence. Yeah, yes. That's like I used to, I remember trying to read The Silmarillion a bunch of times. Yeah. And I've never finished it because I just can't. But like the the whole. That's okay because you have a hobbit. Yeah, because you're my hobbit. No, but (laughs) the, because the. There's like a whole thing of like the gods singing the universe into existence. Yeah. And I remember that kind of meaning something to me when I, the first time I tried to read it in high school, because I was like, oh, well then, maybe it was in college, but it's like the vibrations are what create our reality. And it's like, and then string theory with vibrations. I yeah. had this whole thing that I was like, oh man, it's like, it's all music. It's all fucking music. Yes. And, um, Damn it, I'm losing it again. (laughs) No, but I think, and it's important to make the distinction that it's not like this sort of like bullshit white hippie version of like manifestation. It's like you say it and then you hold yourself accountable to it. And you're making it so everybody else can hold you accountable to it too. Totally. No, that's a a really good point. And that's, uh, um, yeah, it's not in this wooey like, you're it's not the secret. It's not the secret. It's yeah. it's more you just being like, I'm saying what I want. Yeah. And by saying that, I know more of, I know how to, like, y- you're starting to create the path. Reverse engineering is what you said. Earlier. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of, like, that person's there. Or that person, like, or this is kind of the area I want to be in where I think that my yeah. field that I want to create would sit. Right. This is what it, I think it would look like. Yeah. Okay, where are the what are those pieces? What's between me and that? And then of course, especially with that example, it's changed so much. Totally. But it's generally like I've gone in so many circles, but it's generally where I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. You know? And like just yeah, being not being scared to dream about it. Yeah, and I think that's so valuable. I think that one of m- my favorite things about myself has always been my ability to like get lost in a dream. Yeah. And um, one of my least favorite things about myself has always been my inability to believe in myself. Yeah. And when you make the rule 
no plan Bs, it's like whether you believe or not, like or it's just like you just gotta fucking do it. Yep. You know, let's like go. What whether are you gonna you're do feeling, about it? Whether you're feeling the size of a an ant or you're feeling like a giant, like yep, it's still plan A's on the table and you're going for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's really. I think it's really valuable for the listeners to hear. I think what I really want to do with this podcast is not just through like dirtbag stories of like tour and whatnot, um, is, is inspire other people to kind of say things out loud, like make goals that, yeah. that make them uncomfortable and, and also believe that like, not only is a better world possible, but a better life is possible. Like yes. everything it's all possible. It's all possible. It could also get like may f- way fucking worse too. Yeah. Yes. And it's and like it's already bad, but it could get way. It fucking can always worse. get worse. Yeah. And so, it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's important to keep the faith. It's important and to take care of each other and let other people. And a key part of taking care of each other is letting other people take care of you too. Yes. Which I know, like our friendship has for sure helped taught me that helped to teach me that. Totally. Oh, when, uh, like I said earlier, I'm in, I'm the worst at accepting compliments or gifts. That I the hardest thing for me as an artist is still asking for help. Yeah. Is still like, and what sucks is because the world that I come from or that I grew up in, a lot of people feel like they can just be like throw in my face the amount of times I'm quote-unquote, asking for money or whatnot. Right. And usually the people that throw that in my face are the people that have never bought a CD or, or donated yeah, to a Yeah, because it's their own baggage. Yeah, it's their... But I take it really personally. It, it hits really hard, especially because... Just for whatever reason. Yeah. And... Um, oh fuck, what was I saying? <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know, that can, it could can just be really, really painful to like hear those sort of things and then you have to take a moment and remember like this isn't this isn't them this isn't personal this is yeah you know like the fuck why do, w- fuck them yeah and don't spend energy on it yeah totally and that's uh that's spend energy on your plan a for sure um yeah i hope i had a great talk I hope yeah. uh, we always have good talks, but I hope that everyone listening has enjoyed this. Genevieve, you want to tell them more about like where they can find out more about what you do, especially because yeah. recently you uh, you started a new facet of your yeah. company that I would really like you to talk about because it's something I'm interested in. Cool. So thank you. Um, yeah, no, and thank you for having me. This has been this has been great. Always great. Um, yeah, featuring y'all can't see vulnerability bear, but it's been with us. Um, yeah, so I my website is gv-advisory.com because my company is called GV Advisory. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I just launched, as Chuck, as you were saying, I just launched uh, the coaching part of of my work. So I'm a consultant and I do, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of facilitating and a lot of different projects, but I also do leadership development and coaching. And like a lot of stuff that we've talked about today is like kind of a taste of that. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah. And I was talking to somebody earlier today, like it's my favorite thing to watch people start to believe in themselves. 
Yeah. It's magical. It's so cool. And it's like, and it just, it radiates to everybody around them. And like, so, so yeah, I, um, I do one-on-one coaching, um, like team, team building, things like that. And especially the key is it's all through a collective social, social justice lens. And so, it's been really interesting to work with folks from the nonprofit sector to, you know, whatever job, because uh, there's this idea that what we believe in belongs off the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I've heard a lot of people who work in social justice organizations say, well, I believe about this issue, but this it probably doesn't have anything to do with this. Like, I believe, I believe in women's rights, but we're talking about climate. Yeah. And like, no, they're related. And how do you bring that into every single thing that you do? So, so yeah. So that's what I do. And yeah, it's GV Advisory. And I'm on Instagram too. And mm-hmm. it's just GV underscore advisory. And yeah, I post a lot about my work and I post a lot about the 1986 Mets. Yes. Yes. Who built the Brooklyn Bridge? The Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Okay. Not many people know that. I wanted to make sure I got that right because there's a lot of bridges in the city. <laughs> yeah, the Yankees built the Manhattan Bridge. Oh. But yeah, Major League Baseball is is responsible for most of the structural engineering innovations in Greater New York. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And Emily Roebling. Yeah, and mostly this all came from an obsession with Emily Roebling. <laughs> who, if you don't know who Emily Roebling is, do a quick Google because you will be blown away. Yes. Remarkable woman. Yes. Um, just like my friend Genevieve, a remarkable woman. Thanks. Um, or a person, a human being. Um. I love you so much. Thank you for I being love you on too. here. I love you all for listening. My name's Charles Ellsworth. You can catch me on Spotify, Apple Music, listen to my sad bastard songs that sometimes get a little psychedelic. I don't know. Um, I'm also on Instagram, charles.smellsworth. And please, if you like the show and you want to support it and make it um, a little bit, I don't know, make it able to last longer check me out on patreon just look for my name charles ellsworth and you can donate a dollar or something like that a month and it just helps me keep the lights on and makes it to where i can make more music and more podcasts and hang out with genevieve more yeah we love it it's the best so (laughs) thanks so much for listening i hope you all have a wonderful week and we will talk soon safe travels i should come up with some sort of like tagline or something like that yeah safe travels until next time (laughs) dirtbag king signing out (laughs) whatever road you're on no plan b's